you're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome back to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Rebecca Lauderdale. She is a primary care internal medicine physician in Mississippi who also helps women physicians learn the science and the practices of flourishing. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. I'd love to hear about your story. Let's begin with your journey into the practice of medicine. Yeah, so I have been, I've wanted to be a physician from as early as I can remember. There's a photograph of me with, um, you know, like a fake stethoscope and a plastic syringe Mm -hmm. when I was about four years old, I think. Um, There's just never been a question in my mind that I wanted to do it. I've been fascinated with the human body and physiology and pathology. And um, so so that part was just, I don't know, experiences molded me, Mm -hmm. genetics, whatever that is. So um, I, you know, went to medical school and residency in in the aughts. And and internal medicine really drew me in um, because I loved the I loved the the thinking and the problem solving um, and the focus on kind of more critical illness and more severe illnesses um, than um, than other things that I considered, but also was broad enough. Um, to keep my interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get bored easily if I have um, just one one general problem type to, mm-hmm. to consider or to work on. So, um, so I started my career uh, outside of residency in hospital medicine, which, um, which started out great and gradually became very difficult. And it took mm-hmm. me uh, took me a while to admit, that my work environment was causing my depression and, mm-hmm. um, and that became pretty severe. And once I really figured out what was going on, this was back before people really were talking about physician burnout much. Mm-hmm. Um, those first, first publications that, um, that were really recognized in the media came out, I think, right around 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. And, and that was around the time this was happening. So, well, no, before that, maybe 2014. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, um, I, I left that position and stayed in this stayed in, in my same organization, but got a really great opportunity to be, um, an, a, an outpatient, general internist for a group of, um, high risk 
Medicare patients. Mm -hmm. And um, it has been so rewarding and gave me a chance to kind of breathe and get my bearings. I needed that. And, um, you know, I didn't first know what to do um, when I was burned out and so depressed. I thought there was something, I thought it was, it was me. Mm -hmm. And then, and then became, became aware that there's the combination, you know, there's the, Mm -hmm. the personal resilience. And then there's also, um, work environment and the healthcare systems that we know now after a lot more research has been done are the major contributors to physician burnout. So now what I love to do is I love to help patients. I love to, um, to help them, um, kind of reframe the way they look at their chronic diseases. And I love to, um, to get to know them and their families and create and and develop those relationships. And I also love to work with women physicians, particularly because I've, I've noticed and experienced in my own life that there were a lot of, a lot of the things that predisposed me to burnout and to not getting help for it for so long were, were issues with kind of social conditioning, women's Mm -hmm. social conditioning and um, things I've had to kind of untangle from. So, um, so those are two very important parts of my life. Yeah, I love that. And I'd love to go back to that opening statement of just knowing you were going to be a physician from that earliest age. And I picture my own daughter, we had the Dr. Mm-hmm. Stuffins kit, you know, <laughs> and she would give yes. us all, she called them shooters. <laughs> shooters? <laughs> come and give us all our <laughs> vaccinations. <laughs> and how do you think you knew? Was there external influence? Was it just, you know, watching your own physician? Do you remember a moment or an inspiration that brought you there? I think that there, I think it was it probably experience. Um, I had, I never had any severe illnesses as a child that we had, you know, I had a, you know, healthy, healthy childhood. And so did my sibling. And so, but I had, I had a lot of ear infections at a pretty young age, but old, old enough that I knew what was happening and, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, you know, like, you know, five, six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I had this kind of saw a series of physicians. I had my pediatrician that I saw and then, um, saw an, otolaryngologist several times because I had some hearing issues temporarily associated Mm -hmm. with those. And, um, you know, when I look back now, I was, I was mortified. I was terrified of seeing the doctor, not Mm. the doctor himself. They were both male physicians. They were very compassionate and kind. And I think that's the reason why, you know, Mm -hmm. I saw in my little, in my little mind, mm-hmm. I knew that these people were helping kids like me and I was in a lot of pain mm-hmm. and they knew how to help me. And that's what they were doing. Even though it hurt, I was scared <laughs> of getting shots and I was in pain, but I remember once when they, they, it must've been some like Otacane mm-hmm. that they put in my ear and it instantly relieved my pain. And I had been in so much pain and just mm-hmm. the the, the, the love and the, (laughs) this feeling of just deep, deep appreciation for what they had done for me. And, you know, I think there's some, maybe some psychology behind, you know, different times in your life, create different types of responses when you have Mm -hmm. traumatic things like that. And, 
you know, so some people will say you get bit by a dog at one age and you're fear, mm-hmm. fear dogs all your life, or you get bit by a dog at another age and you become a veterinarian, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's just, you know, probably timing and experience. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. And see how that can bring forward the empathy you have for your patients and that oh, yeah. knowing of the appreciation that is extended to you as well. Mm-hmm. So powerful. And mm-hmm. in your selection of your specialty, and we can see internal medicine is yeah. often the gateway to a number of subspecialties, and you mm-hmm. chose it to keep that broad spectrum. How do you navigate that? There's so much to know in medicine, there so keeping that space where it's you know, <laughs> interesting and still intriguing and not always totally intimidating to be responsible mm-hmm. as that gatekeeper, right? That first yeah. line of defense for patients. Well, I think, you know, one thing, um, one thing that, that, started me out well was my, um, I had, um, I went to residency at the University of Mississippi, the medical center in Jackson, our capital. Um, I went to medical school there as well. So I had some experiences in medical school. I didn't think that internal medicine would be what I wanted to do. Um, But in my third year, I had two wards experiences with really amazing teams. And I realized that that was the kind of work that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I had also started to realize that specializing further was not going to keep my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I had actually considered pulmonary critical care and I, I just didn't, it was the, the knowing, knowing the, the intensity of that work and also the kind of the demands, just the time demands, mm-hmm. um, probably regardless of any position I took in that specialty would be more, more than I was okay with, with, um, because I had a young family. Mm-hmm. So, um, so internal medicine, I've always been, I'm just kind of a natural generalist. Mm-hmm. I love to know about a lot of things and have some mastery, but I don't necessarily feel like I have to completely master everything. Mm-hmm. I like, I like to step back and look at a whole yeah. and find, you know, and, and I think in a, in a lot of situations that's, we, we lack that perspective because we've all gotten so specialized mm-hmm. and we see such a small slice and understand such a small slice of what's going on. So I feel like that's a, a major benefit that I can provide for my patients. And that's the feedback I get from them mm-hmm. is yeah. you know, we're so glad to have somebody who's willing and knowledgeable and will step back and look at everything and say, oh, you know, there's a pattern here that nobody's noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I love that. I love, I love that. that. Yeah. So, just seeing mm-hmm. that puzzle, right. You get to stand back and offer yeah. that integration and explanation. You know, I found that mm-hmm. too, even myself as a specialist, but oftentimes it was at synthesis for the patients and say, okay, here's yeah. what all these people are saying to you. And let's put these pieces together and, and draw on that brilliance and expertise that's made available, but the power exactly. of explaining it and making it exactly. accessible. Is mm-hmm. huge. My, my partners who are who are consultants are invaluable. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we all, you know, I think we all work together. Well, it's where we're all important parts of the, of the puzzle. Yes. I love that. And now let's examine some of this burnout and what I hear is a lot of mismatch. And even when you describe those Mm -hmm. two settings in which you were working, no problem Mm -hmm. or wrongness with either of them, but an incongruence or a mismatch with you Mm -hmm. and what was working for you. And I think that's such a key piece when we think about burnout that both and right. What's, Mm -hmm. important for me, what's working for me and what's happening in the system. 
And sometimes, yes, system reform, and sometimes, you know, just removing oneself or adapting. So how did you come to that space? You mentioned it was a difficult and a longer journey than perhaps you might have hoped to realize, Mm -hmm. you know, I can only change me so much, right? And at some point, it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean I need to shift where I am. Right. And that was, um, it, it took me, it took me several years of working on, you know, I, I, I believe that almost all problems are solvable mm-hmm. and, and also realize that just about anything about us is our personalities, the way that we, you know, a lot of that is changeable too, the way that mm-hmm. we think and how we approach things. And, um, I, and so I, I spent, I went on kind of a journey of finding, okay, who has figured this out? Who has been in a situation like me and who has made it better? And um, so I spent time learning mindfulness and Mm -hmm. um, practices like that to help with my resilience, you know, exercise and sleep and those sorts of things, Um, improving relationships, et cetera. And I also spent time trying to make the place that I worked better. And Mm -hmm. there are just, there are only so many things that can be changed. Um, You know, I, I I think that that, that was the real, um, the, the decision maker for me was realizing that I had gotten to a point where I I didn't really have any more influence. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what needed to be changed was so big Um, and I didn't have influence over it, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and so, you know, maybe in the, in the longer term with more advocacy, you know, doctors are always working on improving our systems and sometimes we win and sometimes we don't. Um, but just in a situation where I didn't feel like I was being, um, like I could be effective or, Mm -hmm. um, that I could change a system that was dysfunctional. In, in different, in several different ways. And it was in such a way that it took away my sense of, a, of being able to, you know, to, to have accomplishment. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that we need. Those are one of the things that people need to flourish is a sense, is the kind of a sense of accomplishment and mastery. And when you can't really, you're, you're kind of limited in what you can do and the resources are, um, just not available for your patients or they don't have good access to outpatient care. Um, and they're also kind of the, the stakeholders involved in other areas of the hospital that were not part of my group that we had mm-hmm. influence over, um, that there just wasn't a way to change it no matter how, you know, we had tried. So, um, I realized that for my own mental health and well-being that I needed to seek a different work environment. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I ha- this opportunity happened to be there. Our organization was um, embarking on the ACO route. Um, some of you may, may know about all that. It's becoming right. kind of more and more widespread with value-based care. And we, we needed, we needed, somebody to be focusing on the, the higher risk patients for primary care. So Mm -hmm. I jumped on top of it. It was just what I wanted to do. It was like a dream job. Yeah. And just noticing they're married very well have been someone who wanted to make the opposite switch, right. To leave that outpatient setting and head inpatient into sometimes just be able. Exactly right. 
Yeah. To take mm-hmm. that step back where your own mm-hmm. skills in the clinical space allowed you to step back and say, yeah. hey, wait, right. I don't have to keep struggling to make this work when this job is here. That really mm-hmm. aligns with what I want to do. And someone else may very well fit right mm-hmm. in right to how this inpatient yeah. setting works. And that's actually, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I actually have a partner who, um, after I, after I made the move to do outpatient work, she was in the hospitalist group with me as well. And she actually made a transition. And then mm-hmm. after a year, she realized that, you know, that she really, that really the hospital work was better for her and, mm-hmm. and her family. And so she went back to that. So, yeah. I, you know, it's also different seasons of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started hospital medicine, I had two, you know, like preschoolers. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and then by the time I finished, they were, you know, into elementary and middle school. And so the only time I couldn't just not send them to preschool when I didn't work, I was on a seven Mm -hmm. on seven off schedule and, you know, I would just keep them home and we'd spend Mm -hmm. a lot of time together. But once they started school and the only time they were home regularly was on weekends and Mm -hmm. then 50% of the time I wasn't there, that got to be difficult too. So it was, it affected relationships. So it just, you know, seasons in our lives change what we need and it's okay to make changes Mm-hmm. <laughs> in alignment yeah. with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And how do you see having that perspective helping you as you moved into this new job of knowing I can make these changes, right? If it doesn't work for me, I'm not stuck. Those kind of oh, dialogues that we take huge. into that with us. Mm-hmm. Because the the stuckness was like a major part of my um my my regular thought habits mm-hmm. was being stuck, you know, yeah. just not having other opportunities available and when it you know, when I finally realized how, how mistaken I was, mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know, that spills over to everything, you know, what else could change? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I this can that. change. What else can change? And, and it sounds like that inspired yeah. you to move into your work, helping other mm-hmm. women physicians. And so let's talk about some of those yeah. social conditioning that we're alluding to here, right? So the idea of Mm-hmm. When I, when I heard and I'll offer my personal is like, you should be grateful where you have this good job and it's yes. well paying. So why would you challenge it or leave mm-hmm. or try to change it? Has that come up mm-hmm. for you in your own experience or as you've worked with other women? Very positions? much. Yes, mm-hmm. very much. Um, and the, you know, the, um, kind of being taught to, to, to be pleasing, to be accommodating, not to be too high maintenance, not to need too much. Um, so I think that keeps us sometimes from asking for what we need mm-hmm. and advocating for ourselves, which in turn doesn't just help us, it helps other people. You know, mm-hmm. I like to point that out, that when we advocate for ourselves, that um, it sets up, you know, some expectations that other people will do that too. Mm-hmm. And um uh, yes. Yeah, so those, so the, the, the people pleasing, um, also the, um, saying yes to everything, um, mm-hmm. and not realizing that, um, how important boundaries are and that you can set boundaries and that, that my boundaries might be different than yours. And that's okay. We have mm-hmm. different capacities and different areas of our lives at different times in our lives. And even if that's something we want to grow, we have to be realistic with what we can handle at one time and Mm -hmm. learning to have 
have um, have phrases, have responses at the ready in your mind when somebody asks you to do something. Um, you know, my policy is almost always to not say yes. It's either a maybe or it's a no. Mm-hmm. And that that is a 180 degree change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder too, one I, that often comes to mind for me is thank you for the invitation, right? Let me consider or something to even just put a little mm-hmm. bit of space between that automatic Absolutely. agreement to it in mm-hmm. there. Yes. And mm-hmm. that fear that we're going to disappoint someone right, by right. saying no for it. And mm-hmm. affirming that, you know, like, I think what you're doing is great. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be able to help out in that way, but you know, hit me up next time. Or how mm-hmm. about, how about this? How about it? I could, you know, I could support it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. What else have you found to come up most frequently with your colleagues, women physicians who might be considering a transition or feeling that stuckness? What else do you see as those big limitations or obstructions to them getting what they need? So some other things, um, you know, we have have expectations about, and this really ties kind of with the the things we've already talked about, but we, um, as women, especially if we have, if we're married um, with children, you know, the, the research shows that women physicians do around eight and a half hours more per week in household chores and duties just related to the, the family and the home than male physicians do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also there is a significant correlation to relationship distress, like, like, so intimate relationships, marriages, partnerships Mm -hmm. for women physicians directly proportional to the number of hours they work. Mm. And that's not true for male physicians. Their, their relationships with their, their spouses are not impacted by the number of hours they work. And I think that is because of the expectations we have of Mm -hmm. ourselves and that other people have of us. And that was something that I've realized a lot and not to let anybody else off the hook, but Mm -hmm. I know that I had expectations of what I should be doing. And the real, the real bottleneck was me deciding that I was going to change what I thought I should be doing Mm -hmm. and letting go of things, asking for help or hiring help for cleaning, for having, Mm -hmm. picking up the kids from school, those sorts of things, um, being ready to ask for help and, and talking through those duties. So I, my husband and I have had a lot of talks about, especially several years ago, right. Kind of when this transition was happening and he didn't, he didn't really know Mm -hmm. that, things were bothering me. (laughs) He can't know if I don't say it, right? Um, Or that I felt like things were imbalanced at times. And and so all it took was was some conversations, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, oh gosh, that was so much easier than I expected it to be. And I know that doesn't always go that way for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. And that there are, you know, maybe, maybe some more difficult conversations that have to happen, Mm -hmm. but advocating for yourself and being willing to make your wellness uh, a a top priority 
um, is okay and not just okay, but it's, it's imperative. Nobody's going to advocate for you like you will. And, um, and it, it, it just makes your family healthier. It makes your relationships healthier when you're clear about what you want. And, um, one other little point I'll make is that, um, I've learned that asking people for some, for what you want, especially, um, in the context of, you know, kind of friendships, um, and intimate relationships. And then, you know, coworkers, when you ask someone for help, you're inviting them into a role in your life. It's a way of, it's a way of developing a relationship. And if you don't ever ask for help, if you don't ever say what you need, then it limits how people can know you. Mm-hmm. And then you don't feel known and it's not their fault. It's yeah. on, you know, it's on you to make your needs known. And so that's something that you can do that makes a huge difference in your quality of life. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And those words need and want often feel taboo. We're not supposed to have oh, them yeah. or voice them or mm-hmm. you know, expect things from others. But I talk about that in some of my courses too, where need is an invitation for connection, right? It's giving someone the yeah. chance to participate and for you to practice receiving because we spend so much mm-hmm. time giving, right? As women, as physicians. Yeah. And some key points I want to bring through that you highlighted there that you have to speak it. You know, we talk about Toltec wisdom. And if you've read the four agreements or the fifth agreement, right? Not making Mm -hmm. assumptions and recognizing we all have our own stories. And sometimes we just have to tell people (laughs) what it is we're experiencing Mm -hmm. and not expect them to be mind readers. And also that it is really valuable if you do have a receptive partnership, acknowledging that that's not the case for everyone Mm -hmm. and being grateful and appreciative where it exists and finding that space. You know, maybe it's not in your intimate partner, but finding those allies and advocates for you. I think so mm-hmm. key. As mm-hmm. you think about it's kind of the big factors, you know, a structure for function. We talk about in osteopathic medicine, those key pieces to put in place. If you are perhaps considering a transition, whether it's career or it's personal knowing too, that we often double whammy ourselves. We're not doing enough at home. We're not doing enough at work. Mm-hmm. And then you get to decide what those requirements are, what would you say are some of those key factors that women physicians might consider if they're in this space? If they're, okay, so key factors to consider um, in making that decision. <clears throat> they're looking at, so a transition at a transition in the workspace, or like you said, different season of their life, some things to reflect upon. Yeah, I would just say, you know, it, it's always important to keep in touch with yourself and how your 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 values and what's an important changes throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that you stop having those values, but th- certain certain values become more important to you. And that may be because um, of the stage you are in life, um, your age of your children, the age of your parents, um, or your spouse, or your, your friends, and the opportunities in other parts of your life. I think um, you, may, you may choose that you want to emphasize those things over um, or, or, or more than you had before you, you may recognize a desire. So we, you know, you said how wanting and needing can be taboo and that's, you know, women understanding what you really want. And sometimes if you've spent so much time with everybody else's expectations of you or what you think or everybody else's expectations of you, you don't really stay in touch with what you truly want. And so getting some time and space around that, I think is really helpful to me. Um, 
going off for a weekend and spending some time alone, journaling. I love to read other women's stories. Mm -hmm. uh, just And there are so many, um, you know, now they're all kind of Facebook groups for physicians where people tell their stories and talk about what they're doing. And there's a lot of inspiration that can come um, from um, hearing what other people do can spark can say, Oh yes, I remember. I love that. That's something I want. And, and, and just, you know, making sure that you've got that balance in your life that you want. And if it becomes clear to you that, um, that, that will, you know, that you need to make a change, a transition, mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't, sometimes we think about job transitions as, you know, I guess we, we consider certain, certain jobs to be of higher kind of higher stature or importance than mm -hmm. others. And I would just say, you know, to kind of be careful about that because um, there are so many other, um, there's so many other things to consider and the importance of one role or another may be artificial. You know, it may be something that you've just, you know, you've made up mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, to be, um, another thing is, is, you know, to consider the, the people that you'd be working with. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a huge, huge thing. Um, I would, I would work with a great team over a bad team any day and it does, it right. wouldn't matter, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, if it meant doing a job, I didn't usually like quite as much. The team makes the difference. So yeah. that's always something that I consider as well. Yeah, I love that. Lots of key ways to advocate for yourself and they could be small changes, right? It doesn't always have to mm -hmm. be a landmark, but just to recognize knowing what I want, establishing who my resources are, either in supplies mm -hmm. or people, right? To be with mm -hmm. me in that space and being willing to know that it's not permanent where we get so stuck in that right. space. Like, like you said with your mm -hmm. colleague, try it for a year, right? And then be willing yeah. to go. Yeah, it's okay indeed. to change your mm -hmm. mind. Sometimes we need more information in the form of experience. Mm -hmm. That sometimes you just can't make a decision without some experience. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And so please tell our listeners where they can learn more about the work you're doing and hear more of your wisdom shared through experience. <laughs> so I have a podcast called Women Physicians Flourish. It's on Apple mm -hmm. Podcasts and all the major podcast streaming. So you can find me there. Um, I, um, I have a, a mailing list you can sign up for and I send out newsletters and things and you can, um, you can get to that through the show notes of um, any of my podcast episodes. And I plan to have a group course working on these similar things, you know, later in the year. So if this sounds interesting, then uh, sign up for my email list and I'll make sure that you get more information. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for this great work that you're doing. And we've heard mm -hmm. lots of ways in your practice, with your family, with your colleagues in medicine, how would you say that you see yourself for the health of all things? Oh, yeah. So I, I just really, I think that women physicians are the most amazing group of people in the world. There are 350,000 of us. Mm -hmm. And um, my, you know, the, the, the health of the world 
would be so substantially impacted by women physicians being well and flourishing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to work for. That's what I want to help do. I love that. I look forward to seeing your work flourish as well. Thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. I look forward to tuning into your podcast and to future conversations. Thank you so much, Amelia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.